This is Digital Health Today, episode 22. Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible.com. Audible is offering a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. To download your free audiobook today, go to digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash free. Again, that's digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash free for your free audiobook. This episode is also brought to you in part by HealthTap. HealthTap is a leading digital health company that provides immediate access to top medical experts and their trusted health advice. Join millions of others who are taking advantage of HealthTap's convenient virtual access to the best doctors directly through your mobile device or laptop. Join for free right now by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com free and tap into 24-7 access to top doctors and a growing knowledge base of doctor-created, peer-reviewed health content. Hello and welcome back to Digital Health Today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and thanks for being a part of our global digital health community. Thanks to everyone for the support you've shown for what we're doing here. Our community is growing. I get messages from people all around the world expressing interest in our guests and sharing stories about how they are themselves moving the ball forward. People also ask me how they can support Digital Health Today, and one of the biggest things you can do is spread the word about it. Share it, tweet it, review it on iTunes. It's so easy to do, and I really appreciate the encouragement and support as we work to grow our global audience. If you have ideas or suggestions for the show, or you'd like to find out more about partnering or sponsorship opportunities, you can always contact me directly on dan at digitalhealthtoday.com or send me a message on Twitter at healthtechdan. Now, I've been looking forward to recording this episode for a long time. My guest today is Eugene Borohovich. He started a new role last year as Global Head of Digital Health Incubation and Innovation at Bayer, or Bayer as it's pronounced in Europe. I asked him to be a guest last summer, but he really wanted to get his feet under the desk in his new role, which is, of course, fully understandable. He's worn a lot of hats over the years and has been instrumental in driving the global conversation on health innovation and disruption. In addition to his role at Bayer, he's an advisor at Health Excel, and he's an active leader in the Health 2.0 organization. He's built Health 2.0 networks in New York City and Amsterdam, and he's recently formed a new chapter in Dusseldorf, Germany. In this conversation, we cover the work he's doing at Bayer as they work to transform a company with over 150 years of innovation and 100,000 employees and adapt it to the rapid pace of development needed to be competitive now and in the future. One of the programs we discuss is the Bayer Grants for Apps program, and I want to point out that the applications for this program are open until May 31st, 2017. The link to the application is on the show notes at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 22, that's the number 22, or you can find the application by visiting the website grants four apps. That's grants, the number four apps.com. We covered a lot of ground here and I have a load of links, videos, articles, and more on the website. So please do head over and check it out again, digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 22. If you want a chance to catch Eugene in person, head over to health 2.0 in Barcelona. That event is being held on the 3rd to the 5th of May, 2017. It's just in a few days from the airing of this show. Eugene's giving a talk there. And if you haven't been to this conference before, you really should get there. Health 2.0 is a great organization. They run events all over the world. And in fact, just a few weeks ago, they announced that they were joining forces with HIMSS. And so they have even more things going on to leverage the strengths of both organizations globally. If you do plan to be there at Health 2.0 in Barcelona, let me know. I'll be out there for a few days and would welcome the chance to say hello. And if you miss both of us at Barcelona, you can also find us the following week at the Cube Tech Fair being held in Berlin on the 10th to the 12th of May. That event features Steve Wozniak, who's the co-founder of Apple, in case I needed to actually explain that to anyone, probably not, and Robin Wright, who's the actress well-known for her role in House of Cards. 
I'll be there as well participating in one of the panels, and Eugene will also be hosting a session there. So that looks to be a great event, the Cube Tech Fair in Berlin. Now, without further ado, let's tune into the conversation with Eugene Borohovich. Well, Eugene, welcome to the program. Good morning. Eugene, I've shared a little bit of background with the listeners about some of the things you've done before your position at Bayer. Can you give me a little bit more insight into the personal journey you've taken that's taken you to where you are today? Sure, Dan. So I think, you know, without rewinding all the way back, I started what I would call health tech career at Metco Health and applying sort of my technical skills. This was, you know, 15, 17 years ago. I, I forgot how to count at this point. Um, I, I realized that technology is something that will actually help people and help us save people's lives. And just, you know, a little bit of, of the entrepreneurship in between. Uh, there was a company that I started with, Dan Kogan, or actually I joined him as he was a one-man garage show. And that's what really brought me into entrepreneurship and I would say slash intrapreneurship. I think part of uh, moving some of the mountains inside a large organization is probably as difficult, if not more difficult, as being an entrepreneur. And I'm happy to be at Bayer or Bayer, <laughs> depends which side pond you're in, uh, for uh, coming into close to a year at this point. When I was looking at your bio, I saw that you went to Rutgers, which we play every year. I went to Virginia Tech, so we've got a little bit of a rivalry there. Are you a New Jersey native? Well, what is native these days? So I was actually <laughs> born. Uh, <laughs> I, I was actually born in uh, Ukraine, Odessa, and then uh, my parents immigrated when I was twelve to uh, New York slash New Jersey. So that's what brought me to Rutgers, which is a great school, and I also did my executive MBA there. Yeah, I spent a few years living in New Jersey after I finished university and uh, worked for Siemens up there. I lived off of Exit One Fifty Three. Anybody who knows New Jersey knows that you'd sort of talk about what exit you lived on. And while you were there, after you finished at Rutgers, you got involved with Health 2.0, but that was in the very early days with Matthew Holt, right? I mean, that was around 2008. So what was it like back in those early days when it was probably just you and a couple other people around the table talking about these things? Funny enough, this is actually as I graduated, I did the executive MBA, you know, I had an executive coach who really didn't understand technology. And she kind of said, well, you know, opportunities don't knock on your door. And this was right around the time when uh, sort of meetup.com was getting started. There was a famous New York tech meetup that was run by meetup. And I just decided to go there and I realized that there was really no health tech meetup going on at that time in New York City. So I actually started now what the Health 2.0 chapter, I started as a New York healthcare technology meetup. And talk about a few people. My first meetup, I literally had the guy who gave me the conference room by Penn Station, CIO of an EHR company, my brother, another walk-in. And the speaker who just came off of Fox News the night before. So that was pretty, from my perspective, for the first time was embarrassing. But at the same time, uh, you know, persistent paid off. I mean, um, you know, I think at this point, Alex Fair has grew the, the, what now is Health 2.0 New York City to over 5,000 members. The way I got to meet Matthew Holt, actually, and sort of started my entrepreneurial career, uh, at one of the events, which is still was small enough, probably 10, 15 people, this gentleman, Dan Kogan, pitched what was at the time one of the first social networks for healthcare, which would recommend doctors to you. And he actually asked me to join the company afterwards. Funny enough, I was kind of saying, well, you're a geek and I'm a geek. You need a biz dev person. And he said, well, no, I calculated everything. You are a biz dev person. 
So that's how, um, and, and he already met Matthew, you know, as an entrepreneur, he was trying to pitch and sell and move the mountains. And so he introduced me to Esther Dyson at the time and Matthew Holt. And then very quickly, we changed the to Hell 2.0 in New York City. And then sort of the, uh, you know, the story just goes on, right? It's now what, uh, nine years or so. Exactly. So I saw you at the Health 2.0 meeting last year. I think that was the 10th anniversary, 2016, at the uh, Santa Clara event. But you've gone on to plant other Health 2.0 uh, initiatives in at least Amsterdam, right? So how did you get from New York over to Europe? And I think specifically, you went directly to Amsterdam. Uh, so I think as we, uh, as Dan and I ended up selling uh, the company, I had an opportunity to become the CIO for International for Medco Health at the time. The headquarters was in Amsterdam. And so we kind of packed our bags and uh, moved to Amsterdam, which was a fantastic experience. One of the key things is building an ecosystem. And once again, as I got to Amsterdam, there's, you know, great stuff happening by, you know, Lucian Engelen, sort of in the Health Valley but there was really nothing going on in Amsterdam. And so I just popped the chapter open. And I think at this point, we got over a thousand members. There's a small team that kind of stepped up to maintain and grow the community there. And actually, as I moved now to Dusseldorf, I also opened a chapter. We haven't had a meetup yet, but uh, one, one forthcoming for sure. Excellent. Well, I know there's lots of chapters all around Europe and uh, all around the world. And any listeners who haven't joined or attended a meetup, I encourage you to go to meetup.com or health2con. .com. I'll have all those links on the show notes and find a local event and uh, try to get out there and meet some other innovators. So we're going to talk about your move to Dusseldorf. You've clearly gone around and you're practicing what you preach. My nickname for you is Visa. I had to change it. I was calling you Amex, but uh, I realized I had the slogan <laughs> wrong. So whenever I look at your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed, I'm like, man, I wish I was at that conference. He's doing such cool stuff. And I thought, you know, Eugene is like everywhere that I want to be. So I started calling you Amex, but realized that was the <laughs> wrong credit card company. So I got to call you Visa. But yeah, you, you get all over the place. You do a lot of speaking. You're, you're involved in a lot of activities and organizations. And you also, in addition to your speaking, you also write. I saw a post that you did on Medium about the Triple E. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what your vision is on the Triple E? Sure. I mean, for, first of all, I just want to echo. I mean, I've slowed down quite a bit. And I think, you know, as part of a new role at Bayer, the key focus is, is the team, right? So I've, I've slowed down a bit, but I still do enjoy. And, and what I realize, it gives me energy to talk to entrepreneurs, to talk to innovators. So I look forward to a number of different shows coming up this year. But back to your main question, there's a lot of people that write for a living. Uh, for me, it's kind of gathering my thoughts throughout the day and then just putting something, for lack of a better term, a digital paper. You know, as we're talking about digital health, right? And I know there's a lot of definitions and maybe I'll kind of start off with what came to me as a realization of digital health. In my opinion, it's really a kind of human recognition and, and our awareness that technology can actually prolong our lives, right, with our families, with our loved ones, um, and really kind of moving it from healthcare to just health. And obviously, this is a digital world. So I know, you know, Paul Sinier has a definition. There's a number of others. Fundamentally, it's all around technology and us recognizing that, that it can help us, right? And there's a lot of examples that I can cite where it's been helping us as healthcare consumers or in some cases patients. And so what I realized in, uh, I guess now eight years or so, while it was health 2.0, e-health, digital health, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we call it, right? Uh, it it's really just a realization. How do we take hold and, and leverage technology for our livelihood? 
So it dawned on me that what will it take for this digital health, which I think every industry needs a buzzword, and certainly digital health is a buzzword, but we need a couple of things. And you know, we've been all talking about a patient engagement. We've been talking about economics going from sort of volume to value across the ecosystem. And then of course we need evidence, right? Because as consumers, and whether it's B2B or B2B2C, you know, ultimately value equals what you extract out of it as a consumer, right? And and is it an equal uh, value exchange? So that's what kind of dawned me on, on this article, which I, it took me quite a while to really put it together, just in some research, some background, as well as many things have been happening, especially in the evidence side since then, since the beginning. So I'll definitely include a link to the article in the show notes. You've included some information here in terms of startup health and some of the investment numbers that we've seen absolutely multiplying, going from $1.1 billion in 2010 of investment in digital health startups to $8.1 billion last year, 2016. So the E then, specifically the three things are engagement, economics, and evidence, right? Can you touch on each of those three and, and tell me a little bit of your insight about how we go about addressing each of those three areas? Absolutely. Maybe just a little bit as a backup, right? And I know that people talked about what really got us here probably won't get us there, right? But I, maybe I'll just accentuate a couple of things, um, uh, what got us here. And of course, I think one of the key ones that I actually didn't list because it's almost a given is the social, right? I mean, if you think about the Health 2.0 movement that started now, you know, over 10 years ago, what brought it together is social, right? I mean, at, at the time, if you look at it, a lot of those, including our startup, Dan and I's, was all around community and online, right? Where people were saving each other's lives and still continue to do so. So that, to me, as a given. You know, I'll just fly through a little bit if you don't mind. One is, uh, you know, I'm wearing three different devices in my hands, right? So kind of the wearable and the sensor advancements, that's what's been sort of moving along. I mean, if, if I look at the accuracy and compare it between the devices, it used to be a pretty wide gap. What I find these days is uh, probably within five to seven percent at least on the walking. Then what's amazing is, think close to 2014, the number of global users, desktop versus mobile. So I mean, I don't think I have to tell the listeners now, we're all on our mobile devices, right? Which means the data is accessible. And by the way, your phones have multitude of sensors and there's a number of companies out there like Ginger.io or outcomes-based healthcare that, that are looking at a lot of these sensors uh, around your behavior, human behavior. Then a little bit of a technical thing, you know, everything is in the cloud, but I think the ability to store things and, and now securely in the cloud is also a key component of what got us here. And then finally, which is a pretty misunderstood term, artificial intelligence, because it encompasses quite a bit underneath. But if you remember Vinod Kosla a while back, I think sometime in 2012 said, well, you know, technology or AI replace doctors. I think he backed off since then a bit. It's really enabling the doctors to really bring that human uh, feeling back. And I think, you know, back to your original question around engagement, um, you know, there, there's two sides to the engagement, right? I think one, one piece is, I think the industry has been talking about patient engagement. I think part of this is that a little bit of the reality, I mean, yes, some people like to be called patients, right? But I think there's many that, that really kind of focus on, I'm a human being. And we all get sick throughout our lives at some point. You know, we do get chronically ill, uh, but it still is a slice of our life, not the whole life, right? 
So I know there's many companies that are doing many different pilots and many different engagement strategies. I probably won't get into a lot of that in details just because I think people can read about it. But there's also a second side to engagement. As far as being part of a large organization, while Bayer is, you know, 100,000 strong as far as employees and a lot of talent and a lot of creativity and, and, and innovation, we also do need help to ultimately help the patients, right, and, and the healthcare consumers. And so part of the E, uh, especially for the large organization, is also engagement outside of the four walls. And we can certainly provide some links later, uh, but one of our programs is Grants for Apps that I, I think back, if I rewind, almost four and a half, five years ago, I met Jesus almost randomly, and I absolutely loved what Bayer was doing with connecting the inside world to the outside world. I think at the time, a lot of the pharma companies were investing in accelerators, or just, just cash, and the engagement wasn't there. And I think what, what Jesus and team kind of came up with is really a different model. And so the crazy part is I'm part of this journey this year already, and this is year five. So we can talk a little bit more later, but I think this is one of the important pieces for large organizations to really engage and connect outside as well. So you've actually touched on one of the things that I wanted to ask about. So Bayer, it's over 150 years old. You mentioned it's over 100,000 employees. It's a top 10 pharmaceutical company. When I was doing some research, I, I noticed that actually it's not just about healthcare. I mean, I, I think about Bayer with consumer goods and pharmaceuticals, but you're actually, the, the website positions it as about the health of humans, animals, and plants. So we all know the consumer goods. We've got aspirin, Baraka, Coppertone products, all sorts of things like that. You've got a huge uh, range of pharmaceutical products like Adempus and Zeralto and Beta Ceron and many, many others. You've got a significant business in crop science and animal health as well. And I understand that some of those areas are growing. So in your role as the global head of digital health incubation and innovation, what are you focused on and what are some of the things that attracted you to the Bayer organization? The second part to that question I love, and I appreciate that you did the research as far as the, the life sciences company, right? It truly is a life sciences company. And I, when I was approached by Bayer, there was a couple of others that were looking to engage with me. And what really attracted me to Bayer is that what I would call, you know, everything from food, nutrition, and kind of the real direct-to-consumer, as well as chronically ill, right? I mean, if I look at a person, you go from kind of health and wellness to worried well to chronic disease management, and Bayer is in a unique spot to look at all three, right? Now, from my focus, my team sits cross-divisionally. We do have a great experiment ongoing at Bayer and some investments into digital farming, which is really a fascinating way to leverage uh, data to help our customers, uh, aka the end farmers, for better yields, etc. And hence, my background, of course, as well as sort of the team and the way it's, it's structured, uh, really high focus on the digital health. And the way I look across the three divisions that we have, which, as you pointed out, is the farmer, consumer, and the crop science, you got the digital health, which is a combination of the consumer and pharma, and then you get the digital farming on the crop science. So with my team, we're heavily focused on the digital health side. There's a 
couple of experiments going on in animal health as well. Um, and I don't mean R&D experiments. This is in the digital space. And, and the team is helping out. And then there's a, there's a second part to the team, which is sort of across the digital innovation, which is around open innovation. And we're working with our corporate innovation colleagues. We have an open innovation portal of how you can engage with, with Bayer on the outside. But we also have uh, platforms internally where employees from around the world can submit ideas. Um, they can get very quick grants to sort of research their ideas. And then we have some internal startups called Five by Fives, which is five people, five weeks, uh, to go and solve a particular challenge. Um, and so that's also part of the team. And while we're focused on digital health, there's the open innovation and, and ideation flows uh, that's also a uh, responsibility of the team. You mentioned earlier this program's been going on for about five years. So you're talking specifically about grants for apps, or is that just one of the pieces that you were just mentioning? Just one of the pieces. So grants for apps is uh, now year five. The five by five is about two years. We've hosted about, I want to say, 12 internal startups at this point. Okay. And this ranges, we always require a business sponsor. And, and the amazing part is that, you know, it's five weeks, five employees. But the difference is the person that submits the idea or has the challenge has to let go. And, and the idea behind it is that there's five people that get together that actually don't know much about the topic with creativity and different ways of solving it. And the bias that goes with the original problem is let go. And we've actually had out of those 12, we've patented something. There's been adoption into, for example, digital farming features that came out. And, and the employees go back to their normal jobs and saying, wow. So they're kind of like injecting the, the startup flavor into the rest of the organization. So where do people that are listening go to find out about some of these programs? So it's innovate.bear.com, and that's our sort of external innovation portal. And then, of course, the grantsforapps.com uh, slash Berlin, which uh, we have the applications open now for year five. So year five going on there. You're going on one year now at Bear. What have you found? What's your experience been like? You've had a lot of experience working for very innovative, fast-paced businesses. Now you've gone into a 150-year-old machine that is going to be disrupted, right? I mean, we, we know that pharmaceuticals are going to be disrupted. I was watching over the weekend a talk from Peter Diamandis, and what he was using is the, the Kodak moment where in 1996, they had, uh, what was it, $26, 28000000000 billion market cap and over 140,000 employees. And then by 2012, they were filing for bankruptcy with 17,000 employees. I'm not predicting a similar thing for the pharma industry, but we know that there's change coming. And that's why you guys are investing in this. What's been your experience coming from outside pharma and coming in? Have your eyes been opened? What kind of impact is being made? And what would you have to say generally about the overall experience? I'll take uh, a little bit of a broader view. I mean, I think in my previous role as well, I've worked with quite a few pharma. And let's just focus, I guess, on the digital health side, for lack of a better term, or the pharma and the consumer. And, and you know, I think uh, most of the pharmaceutical companies are struggling to engage, right? I mean, of course, there's a lot of good stuff coming out. Here, here's what I found in the last 10 months. I mean, I think a, we're really, 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 really good in molecular innovation, right? And I think we've been innovating in that space from, from um, you know, the early days of chemicals, et cetera. And what astounds me is that our R&D colleagues, um, and just in general in pharma, they set a hypothesis. Yes, it takes a long, long time. They set a hypothesis. They either prove it or disprove it and continue moving forward, right? So if you think about it, it's kind of a long game startup 
about pivoting, right? <laughs> if I really had to compare it. What I think we need to look at from a, uh, from a digital health perspective is shortening those cycles to our digital natives and saying we still need to have a hypothesis in place. What I found quite a bit, you know, a lot of in, in the large organizations, people use the word experiment and saying, well, you know, startups experiment and they don't have to have a business plan and they'll just write it off to an experiment. And I kept saying, no, you still need a hypothesis. You still need a hypothesis. What do you want to prove out of uh, this pilot with this startup or this program? And so I think a little bit of that culture change around really experimenting fast, failing, fast, failing often, as Esther Dyson says, right, is something that probably all large organizations need to learn. The second realization, you know, a lot of times when I was kind of going around and meeting with the pharma uh, folks, sometimes you kind of start wondering, where's your customer? Who is your customer, right? Because you get out there and you start talking about, well, HCPs is our customer. Well, the wholesalers are our customer. I got invited to be on a panel. This was an internal conference for global medical directors. This was in, I think, 200 plus people, not all medical directors, but the surrounding in, in medical affairs. And I have to say, at that one day, I really felt who the customer was, which is the patient. So it's amazing to see the passion of people. And actually, there's a girl that will speak with me at Health 2.0 about the same Triple E and specifically talk about the patient engagement. The energy and the passion just exudes. Uh, Pooja M Merchant will join me in Barcelona as well on stage. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. As far as sort of the disruption, and I think weaving back into the Triple E, the challenge that we have as an ecosystem and not just a pharma company is, you know, measuring actual value and outcomes based. You know, I think this is why the, the second E, which is economics, it is so important for us to figure out new models of engagement, right? You know, who will pay, how it will be paid, who owns the data, which in my mind, there's no doubt is us, the patients. It just depends on the specific regulations. But this is sort of the second E. Uh, you know, we need to advance on this. Unfortunately, I don't have the answers, right? And I think while there's a number of experiments going on across different pharma companies, we still don't have clear answers on how do we drive from real volume to real value. Hence, this is sort of the second pillar in, in the article. And unless we figure that out, then there's not a business case to drive these things forward. And that's obviously a, a key component. You were talking about failing fast, failing often. A lot of people talk about accelerators and that's a way to accelerate success, but it's really accelerating failure. What you're trying to do in an accelerated environment is test, establish those hypotheses and prove or disprove them and move on and iterate as quickly as you can. And that's really the whole lean startup mentality, isn't it? To try to establish that framework. And, uh, and I think that's part of the reason it's great to have not just the incubator and the accelerator environment. And as you mentioned, a lot of companies, pharmas and others, are doing it at sort of arm's length. They're sort of giving money into an organization and putting a little bit over there and a little bit over there and saying, okay, well, you guys find the startups and, you know, tell us and we'll we'll come see you every two weeks or at your demo days or whatever and we'll we'll see what you're working on. But Bears actually said, no, we're going to take a much more proactive approach and they've done this for years now. But how does it work in terms of getting other stakeholders involved in terms of, I mean, Bayer's not the only pharmaceutical. So how would you address that sort of question in terms of, well, if I participate in the, the Bayer Grants for Apps program, for example, how's that going to limit me if I then want to go to Glaxo or, you know, some other pharmaceutical company down the road? So actually, uh, my, my best suggestion is talk to some of our graduates or alumni, not, not necessarily graduates. So A, we're really open about our challenges, right? I mean, if you go to grantsforapps.com slash Berlin, 
We actually have a double program uh, for this year. One is the standard accelerator, and one was kind of inspired, you know, Jesus and I and, and the team, we, we're constantly brainstorming and things. And one of the challenges, as you know, is you graduate from the program and then you sort of throughout, you're looking for these pilots for proof points and then you want to scale the pilot. Um, so what we're actually organizing as well, I don't have the dates in front of me, but we can certainly follow up, uh, what we're calling a deal maker. Uh, so you can now apply for just the regular accelerator uh, or for the deal maker. And the deal maker, again, we, we have very specific challenges identified. And the plan is to have all the right parties, including the business champion sponsor. And so you can actually look to meet those people, but also in hopes to cut a deal right there and then. And of course, this is not a very early stage unless you, you're really solving a specific problem. Uh, it's a little bit of a later stage uh, company you should have. So that's that's sort of one part of it. The second part to this is, as you mentioned, how do we lock people in? We actually don't. As a matter of fact, at our demo days, we invite the Pfizer's and the Merck's and, um, and Allianz's, and we try to connect our startups because I think at the end of the day, their success is the success of the patients, right? And so that's how we look at it. We actually call it competition. There's a lot of accelerators. We try to cross-promote, you know, on, on grants for apps, Twitter account and others. Really, you know, when we talk about this as part of our open innovation program, we're really open about it. That's really great. Yeah, and that's what I was hoping you were going to say. Now, another question that I have is I'm on the Grants for Apps website right now, and it's grants, the number four apps.com. I'll include the link in the show notes, obviously. But you've expanded now. I mean, you, you talk about Berlin. You also are working in North America, Barcelona, Shanghai, Tokyo, Moscow, Singapore, Italy, all listed on here. Yeah. Where's the, the main focus? You know, what's sort of happening globally? And can you tell me a little bit about the language issue? Because I know when I first heard of Grants for Apps, this is going back several years, and I heard it was based in Berlin, I thought, well, that's going to eliminate a lot of people that I've worked with who don't speak German. So can you tell me a little bit about, uh, you're multilingual, but a lot of people uh, aren't. Tell me how that works in terms of uh, delivery, in terms of uh, language and cultures. Um, so let me let you in on a secret. I don't speak German. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it, it's really not an issue. I mean, you know, especially in Berlin, it's it's very multilingual, multicultural. The, the official language at Bayer is English. Um, you know, people from we're changing emails from Singapore to to Malaysia to uh, to Africa. Right. All, all in English. So that, that's really not the issue. But, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point. I mean, um, I think the, the focus of what I would say the, the corporate grants for apps team has been Berlin. And a number of cities you mentioned, like Barcelona, right, like Moscow, the amazing part is that the people in those countries, they literally approach the global team and say, you know what, we would love to do this. Just to cite a little example, we had a medication adherence challenge in Singapore for grants for apps. And so it's almost, I, I don't want to call it a franchise model, right, because it's all within buyer. But in a way, we kind of set a little bit of the framework. And you can, for example, there's a number of ways you can engage locally in your country. We do have our own meetups called STEM for Health or STEM for EgTech, depends on the country where you reside. And so a lot of people just stand up. We have STEM for Health now in 25 cities, over 22 countries. And people at Bayer are just kind of standing up and saying, you know, I'd love to participate in this. I'd love to do something. The reason I brought up Singapore, so there was the challenge for medication adherence. And next thing we know, 
somebody in Thailand stood up and basically created like a Grants for Apps local event just to um, sort of showcase and just to tell the entrepreneurs in Thailand how you get engaged, involved. They didn't ask for permission. They just did it, right? And, and this is what the passion of the people around the world at Bear. They absolutely love the program. They love how this helps, you know, these entrepreneurs and companies, but more so even at the end of the day, the patients, right? So it's, uh, for lack of a better term, it's within Bayer, a global movement now. Um, we're, we're, we're actually having our kind of internal grants for apps summit sometime in June. And just to hear the stories, but also sort of exchange information between the sites, between geographies, et cetera. In terms of people who are listening who may be interested in participating, are there key therapeutic areas that you guys are looking for or key sorts of technologies yeah. that you're looking to? And if so, what are they? We actually have a pretty comprehensive list identified on the website. And, you know, one one thing just to sort of note to the entrepreneurs, we've had submissions, for example, for diabetes service. I mean, Bayer got rid of diabetes, right, <laughs> division. So, you know, that's something, a little bit of the warning. And I get a lot of entrepreneurs con- contacting me either through Twitter or LinkedIn. The one thing that I would sort of recommend and is just look at the therapeutic areas. I mean, this is pretty public information, right? We have oncology, cardiovascular, women's health. If you look at sort of this year's challenges, we got everything from sort of clinical trials, how do we identify patients and recruitment, adherence improvements in clinical trials. We have a lot of things going on in sort of data analytics, kind of transforming the EHR data, analyzing drug labels. I'm just kind of randomly women's health. How do we develop early non-invasive diagnosis uh, for endometriosis? There's a pretty large list, you know, on our accelerator website. But then again, also do your research and make sure that as you contact anybody at Bayer, you really understand sort of the business model, you understand the therapeutic areas, and then on a consumer health side, you understand kind of our key portfolio items as well. I'll make sure I include a link directly to this page. So I see it. It's all on here. Clinical trials, data analysis, IT, nephrology, women's health, pulmonology, as well as some of the potential types of solutions that you're looking for. So I'll make sure I include a link directly to this apply page because there's a form on here that I found and everything. So people can get that directly from the show notes. And what do they get when they're participating in Grants for Apps? What what are you actually giving? Obviously, a lot of mentorship, some space and some leadership. How long is the program and what are you providing to them in terms of cash or other benefits? So it's 100 days, fully engaged, and that's the beauty of where it's placed, especially in Berlin. I've had the pleasure of spending days there, and it's amazing to see you know, everybody from R&D to marketing to clinicians just walking through the space right, and wanting to help. We have mentors assigned. They have freedom to really reach out within the network. They even sort of have IDs to walk into the building. They can contact anyone. We'll sort of facilitate that. You get 50K and you get the space right in the middle of our Berlin office. And, you know, I think part of that also is we're trying to push these guys internally, but also externally, right? So, you know, everything from demo days, I think last year, at least Jesus said that we were the largest digital health event in Europe. Don't quote me on that. I'll have to get that. <laughs> that's at least what he says. You're quoted. This is a podcast. All right, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm quoted. Very good. Well, Eugene, listen, it sounds like a, a great program. I'm looking forward to seeing you at Health 2.0 in May in Barcelona. You said you're speaking at that event, and I imagine you're going to have some of the companies there from the Grants for Apps program and some of your colleagues. Yes, we'll have uh, some from the Barcelona program. 
still finalizing on a few from Berlin, but we'll have some uh, representation for grants for apps. And a little bit of uh, part, part of my team will be there as well as a few others. So we'll, we'll continue the, the Tripoli at, at Health 2.0 Barcelona. Brilliant. Well, that, that's wonderful. I look forward to seeing you there. And thank you for everything that you and your team are working on. I know you're really focused on, on building the strengths of that team internally within Bayer, but also doing a lot of outreach. So it's great to see your work there. And it seems like you're really well placed within a great organizations leveraging your strengths and uh, want to do everything we can to support that. Eugene, I've got six questions I'd like to ask every guest. Do you have a few more minutes for me? Absolutely. Fantastic. Eugene, can you tell me a saying, quote, or phrase that motivates you? You know, it, it's funny. I was uh, I was just discussing this with my wife, and uh, my favorite one, and she kind of said, well, you've been using it since you've been like 10 years old. And I said, yeah, because that's what actually drives me. So um, it's people respect what they inspect. Kind of a play on Lou Gerstner's quote, but I truly, truly believe that not about pushing things. It's not about doing for the sake of doing. If you believe and if you have the passion, people will actually inspect and will respect, right? So that's something that drives me since 10 years old, apparently. What advice do you have for others working to innovate in healthcare? You know, I, I think if we look at uh, special entrepreneurs, I would call it a B2B to see one key thing that it came really, really strong to me in the last 10 months as I've been getting contacted you know, really, really focus it and understand not necessarily the end customer, but the middle customer, right? So the B2B, what therapeutic areas they're in. And, you know, the second piece, which is a little bit of cliche, but believe in what you do, because if you're just chasing the money, you're, you're not going to succeed. You got to have the passion, period. What book do you recommend to our listeners? I just recently reread David and Goliath by Ma- Malcolm Gladwell, and it kind of <laughs> it kind of accentuates some of the sort of startup and large organization. And you know, there are a lot of I think the book is titled "Underdogs and Misfits and the Art of Battling Giants." You know, the, the interesting part is while the book was absolutely a fantastic, easy read, quick, I, I, I love his books in general, it's actually not about battling. It's about actually working together. And I think a lot of the big corporates are sort of afraid that something will jump out and destroy them, right? And this is why, you know, it's so important to actually work together. What tech do you use that you wouldn't want to live without? Oh, uh, Evernote is my, literally, it's an extension of my brain. You know, everything from business cards to quick thoughts. This is where I start most of my blogs. This is literally an extension of my brain. Augmented brain. <laughs> AB. Do you have a hack about how you use it across different devices? Any particular uh, shortcuts or tricks that you found to make it most effective? You know, uh, it just works for me, honestly. No, 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 uh, no hack. No hack needed. I, I like the redesign. It's a lot more, uh, it's, it's a lot simpler to use uh, with kind of your shortcuts right there. But no, it's been fantastic. I've been with them since almost day one. Eugene, if I gave you a check for $5 million for you to invest in health technology today, where would you invest it? So I would invest in absolutely preventative care. I won't mention some names. There's a number of companies, for example, in breast cancer with sensors that are probably better than mammograms these days. And so I would look in that specific space on prevention and oncology. The last thing is, Eugene, we make a contribution to a charity in appreciation of your time on the show. What charity have you selected? And can you tell us a little bit about what they do? I would certainly select pancan.org. Pancreatic cancer is in the top 
five as far as deaths. And, um, you know, I think unlike breast cancer, where we have a pretty high survival rate just due to technology advancements in the last couple of dozen years, the survival rate in pancreatic cancer is uh, less than 8%. And that gets you up to five years uh, on average, of course, right? So I think this is something that, you know, my family feels passionate about, and so we, we highly appreciate it in advance. Excellent. So that's pancan.org. I'm on their website right now, so I will make sure I include a link to that in the show notes. Thanks very much for nominating them. And uh, if anyone else who's listening feels uh, driven to make a contribution, please do so at pancan.org. They've got a Donate Now button right on the homepage there. Eugene, listen, thanks a lot for taking time to be on the show. How can people keep in touch and follow some of your work? Best is Twitter. I even tell my team to get in touch with me on Twitter, trying to get rid of email. So it's Health Eugene on Twitter. Excellent. So I'll include a link to that as well. And I'll have links to all the the Bayer programs that we've talked about today. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before we end? Just keep on changing the changing healthcare system because it needs it. That's it. We got a long way to go. Eugene, look forward to seeing you in Barcelona. Same. Have a good one. Well, there you have it, Eugene Borohovich, Global Head of Digital Health Incubation and Innovation at Bayer, working to demonstrate what is possible for digital transformation in big pharma. Check out all the links to the things we discussed by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 22. While you're there, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or even we just recently added SoundCloud. So check us out there as well. Follow the show on Twitter at dhealthtoday and catch me on at healthtechdan. Let me know what topics you'd like to have covered and who else you'd like to see featured in this podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors, Audible and HealthTap, for their support of the show. Check out the links for free trials of their services on digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash free. In fact, we have a few supporters listed on that page, so please do check it out and enjoy some great products while also supporting the show. In the coming weeks, we have more great guests, including Daisy Robinson from Harvard, where we address the development and the potential for CRISPR-Cas9. Chaitanya Dehagam from IBM Watson discussing AI in healthcare. AI might not mean exactly what you think it means. Brian O'Connor from ECH Alliance sharing insights on innovations from around the world. And the list goes on. Great stuff coming up, but that's all from me for now. Until next time, keep on innovating.